0: Before we get back to today's show, here's a quick word from HubSpot. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron? Could it be Don or John or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least, it brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever with an AI powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs and a full 360 view of every customer. So your go-to-market team can keep up on the pulse of accounts before trying to upsell or cross sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means, better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com slash service to do more for your customers today. Hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain, your podcast for how you grow better today and tomorrow. I am your co-host, Kit Bodner. I am joined by my good friend and colleague, Kieran Flanagan. What is up, Kieran? What up? I'm excited for an episode. Get to riff on questions. I love questions from our listeners. And so, what we decided to do today was a special episode with a couple of questions from listeners so we could get really deep dive, give some folks some shout out. If you want your question answered on a future episode, please leave us a review in Apple Podcasts, leave a question, your name, Twitter handle, everything there, and we will shout you out. So, Kieran, what's our first question today? all right we've got a question
1: from dale anderson he is all the way over there in australia in canberra i've been to canberra i've also lived in australia for a year it's hot and there are weird animals that can kill you but it's a cool place (laughs) there are a lot of dangerous (laughs) animals in australia lots of strange and wonderful i had this like huntsman spider who infiltrated my flat once and that was the scariest thing that ever happened to me but into his question i don't i hope dale doesn't mind i'm gonna paraphrase this so our audience can follow along with us And so basically, what Dale is asking is they have a business, they market to doctors, and doctors are the buyer of their product. And then obviously, doctors have patients. Mm, Okay. And patients would be end users of that product. And what he is asking is hey, doctors are really hard to market to. Yes. And we know that. And we have talked to founders of companies in this space. And should we continue to try to figure out how to market to practitioners and doctors? Should we try to market to the end user, the actual? Patient and hope that patients influence the doctor to get that thing. Or what should they do here, at Kip? They're struggling to market to their core buyer and they're really thinking about should we continue down this path or should we try to market a little bit more to the end user in the hope that they can influence their buyer, which is the doctor?
0: So, Kieran, you and I know the folks over at Next Health really well. Shout out to Al and the Next Health team who are doing a very similar medical sale in the United States. And so we, I want to give him the same advice that we gave Valentine, which is it's actually very hard anytime you're in a market, if you try to run the influence, the end user play versus the influence, the decision maker play. I don't think that is actually a successful strategy unless you have just a ton of regulatory red tape to getting to your decision maker. And it's just if it, is, it has to be next to impossible. I think instead... You can do some very smart things to reach that end user. So if you think about physicians, for example, you know what physicians want to do? They want to be known as the best physician for the problem they're solving. So one example I would give is, can you do some regional-based awards for, hey, here are the top five physicians in Canberra for dermatology, for general medicine, all of those things. Recognize people. use awards and engagement and data collection process as a way to engage with physicians, get them aware about the brand and the product, and then go from there. That's one idea I would have. At the top line, I wouldn't go to the patients. I would try to go to the physicians. What's your take Karen?
1: Yeah, I think the problem with going to the patients is really how much influence the patient would have on the doctor to adopt that product. I can tell you probably not much at all talking to founders within that space. The buyer, the doctor, the physician, they don't change their usage or their working structure easily. It's very hard to actually shift the way that they work. And I don't think patients are going to help influence that. I think there are some markets where that play does work because the end user has much more influence, right? We know that through product-led growth strategies. I would say HubSpot is a very good example of a company that had large community that we grew through media and had a huge influence on what products were adopted within that company. So I think there's merit to that. I don't think that it's going to be great for this business. One of the things that is valuable to physicians, and actually, as you again, I think you'd really want to think local, as Kip said, in regions, is referrals. They actually do need kind of large referral network. Like I refer someone to a physio or I refer someone to a mindfulness person. Like I refer someone to a consultant. Yes, I love this. One way to think about it is like how you could tap in and be at the intersection of how people refer within a region and actually provides value to the physician to actually maybe create a profile, start to interact with your brand, because you have the ability to help them refer patients to other consultants and things within that region. They are not easy people to reach. I think the other thing that does work for them is events. Uh, a lot of physicians and doctors who own their own practice, they're just business owners, right? Right. They want to become more profitable. They want to have better businesses and they want to serve their users. Not too dissimilar from you could be the Shopify for physicians and helping doctors figure out how to run bigger and better, more profitable practices. They are at their heart entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's something within that, that you could actually have the kind of entrepreneurial side of it and actually teach people how to build more
0: profitable practices. Completely agree. I love that. So I think our overwhelming feedback is go direct to the physicians, but go to them as to one of the core themes of the show in a differentiated way. Yeah, yeah. Think about what is really valuable to them that nobody else in the market is doing. Everybody else is trying to visit them in their office, cold call them, send them some direct mail, do those types of tactics. If you're going to do those same tactics, you're going to get lost. That is the last place that you want to be. Instead, you want to think about some differentiated ways, Dale. You know, Dale is in a really hard spot. And what I want you to think about is what are one or two real bets that I can make that are going to change the mind share and engagement with physicians? And I think Kieran gave you some examples. I threw out an award example for you, but you have to get into what the physicians want and care about most, which is access to patients and perception with patients in the broader community about their skills. So that's our takeaway. I think that's also this advice connects to anybody who is in this situation where their target audience is hard to reach behind a gatekeeper and is thinking about using that kind of end user influencer strategy. It just doesn't work as well than going directly to the decision maker is our advice. Okay, Kieran, we got to keep this going because we got a lot of stuff we want to talk about. And we have a lot of reader questions. We had a great review and question on Apple Podcasts. We would love it. If you listen to our show, please leave us a review and question on Apple Podcasts. We will shout you out. You know who's getting shouted out today? Her name's Katie Hardy, at KPManHardy on Twitter. So at KPManHardy. And Katie's review is around our show on 2 by 2 matrices and how you think about using basically a four box grid to evaluate a specific problem. And if you want to learn all about that, go back to the two by two show. It's amazing. Check it out. I thought it's one of the episodes I get the most positive feedback about. And here is... Again, KP KPManhardy, at KP KPManhardy, Katie Hardy's question. I think a lot about the seven habits of highly effective people quadrant of urgent versus important, but I hadn't thought of creating my own matrix when trying to evaluate something more simply. So as I run marketing for a fintech marketing firm called Crew, shout out Crew, C-R-U-E, I just created a two by two for what I'd like us to be known for. Left to right is generalist marketing agency versus fintech marketing agency bottom to top is performance marketing to demand generation more specifically. We want our messaging to be in the top right quadrant for fintech demand gen. Thoughts? Kieran, what do you think about Katie's 2x2? Do you like it? Would you change it? What's your take? So this
1: is just around how niche or broad they want to go, because they can either be a general marketing agency, a marketing agency specifically for fintech. They can focus in on performance marketing, or they can go much broader and be a demand marketing agency. I think fintech is right. I don't know if general is right. I think general is too general. Performance mm-hmm. and demand gen. I need time to think about it. You
0: talk to me and I'll come back to you. Okay. I, let me give you a take where you're thinking here. So my hot take here is when you're using two by two matrices to think about and solve problems, they're best when the descriptors at each end of the line, the vertical and horizontal axis, are as far apart and as different as possible, right? right. And Katie, the feedback i give you on this two by two that you brought to us is there's not a big enough spread, a big enough delta between those two things. And so I would encourage you to rethink about how you want to do that. And why do those two things need to be more different than alike? Because differentiation matters. We said that at the start of the show. Differentiation is key. So if I was building a matrix for Katie's agency at a two by two for Katie's agency around how they were thinking about it, this is what I would probably go with. I would actually say, do we want to be known for financial technology strategy or do we want to be known for general business strategy? I take it to the very far end. Like you're saying industry matters there. Then I think performance marketing to me is a subset of demand generation, right? Right. And so you're thinking about something there of grow revenue directly versus indirectly. That's what we're good at. That's what I would probably change the other axis to. We help you grow your business directly through direct response, performance marketing, demand gen. There's a lot of tactics that fall in that bucket. Or we help your business grow indirectly through brand marketing, storytelling, all of those things. Right. And if you have those two axes that give you a much bigger spread... Because what you want to do is you want to struggle around where you put your business, plot your business in that grid. And if you're starting with the answer of, hey, I want my business to be about financial tech demand gen, then the grid doesn't matter, right? Because it's not a hard mental problem. These tools exist as a heuristic to force and stretch your thinking. What do you think here? Yeah, I think the
1: starting with the answer and then plotting the quadrant. And so you end up in the quadrant you want is not the... Purpose of a two by two matrix. To your point, you want to have the opposite ends of each extreme and force yourself to make tough choices. I think the choice that Katie is trying to make is: should we niche down to an industry, and should we niche down to a set of services within that industry? So I think she wants to be in the fintech performance marketing quadrant. But to your point, I think you would have direct monetization and direct monetization industry specific, industry agnostic, and within those quadrants. Because I think what she, where she wants to be is industry specific. And direct monetization within that quadrant, then you can start to say, well, within that quadrant, we're going to actually niche down some more, right? And so you have to force yourself to make tough choices. But I think two by twos are best when you are trying to make a hard decision and you actually don't have the answer and you're creating the two by two matrix to force yourself, pull yourself across multiple quadrants and trying to, as you said, at the very start of this, trying to be all things to all people, but two by two Matrix, when you really know
0: where you want to be, isn't as valuable. I completely agree with that. So Katie, at the high level, when you're thinking about perception, positioning your own company, 2 by 2 is a great tool. We recommend rethinking your axes to make them broader and more different from each other. We gave you some examples. We'd love add us on Twitter. You know, Share with us the final 2 by 2 that you do come up with. We'd love to see it. Hope this helped a little bit. Thank you so much for listening to the pod. We appreciate it. I got another question from a listener that I thought was really good. And so Fies Rana asked the question, Do you think it's a mistake for a seed stage startup to attempt a series C or later stage startup content strategy? I actually don't think the percent of investment of around content from a seed stage company to a later stage company is actually that different. I don't think it really changes until you become like a true scaled up, large scale business that you start reducing content as part of your mix in a favor of a lot of other strategies. Content and story matter. And the earlier your business is, the more you need to be focused on content. And so I think it's probably the wrong heuristic to think about, oh, is my content strategy too mature? And I want your take on this, Karen. At whatever stage your company is, how much are you investing in content and storytelling as an overall percentage of your marketing effort, time and money? Right. And I would argue the earlier stage you are, the more you're going to invest in those things, because that's how you're going to change perception and build brand in the early days. You're not going to go spend a ton of money on advertising. So do you agree or disagree with that? I think it's a mistake if you try to compete on the same playing field. Yes. Let me give you
1: an example. If I say, hey, there's a company that I compete with. They have a blogging team of 10 people. I have a blogging team of one person, and I want to try to rank for the same things as them, acquire the same amount of traffic and generate the same amount of leagues, have a popular blog in the same way that they do. Well, now I'm trying to play by their rules. I'm trying to out-compete with less resources. Like, I think the thing you would do is, hey, what are the things that they do not do well? What are the things that I can win on given the resources they have? And how can those things that I can win on help to grow and move my business along? So you're a seed stage company. Maybe the thing I want to win on is just having my founder create great content on Twitter and LinkedIn to change the hearts and minds of people, to share my transformational message, and to make sure that people understand why my company matters, right? That doesn't mean that I am competing with my series C company, but I'm doing something much better than them in a place where they are not very good. And so I would try to pick the spots that I can win on, given the resources that I have, where the places that the series C company is not good at, and I compete with them there. I think the other thing to your point is I would, a C stage company, a series A stage company, a series B stage company, like as you increase in size, the percentage you spend on content should actually increase, but you should always be trying to figure out how do I differentiate and outperform a company that is competing with you with more resources. So I don't think it's a mistake if you are trying to do something differentiated and better in a spot that they are not good, I think it's a mistake. And I see this all the time when people try to compete with companies that are bigger with them in their their space with much less resources. I think that is pretty hard to do unless that company is
0: executing really badly. I love that. That's a perfect summation. Thanks for listening to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain. Big shout out to Katie Hardy, Fiaz Rana, and Dale Anderson for their questions in our special first ever listener question episode. If you want to have your question answered in a future episode, again, please remember to leave that question and any shout outs you want in Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. Great week, everyone.